Life's too short. Life's too damn short. So, eat everything. Try anything. Exercise. Experience all that life has to offer. Here's exercise physiologist, medical journalist, and healthy talk host, Melanie Cole, MS. Now that spring has arrived in some parts of the country, not all, because we are having a bit of an Arctic spring, but it has arrived and people have started noticing that the winter hibernation is starting to creep up on them, whether it's from a couple of winters ago or in my case, my trip to Italy. And so we are talking today how to get that beach body back. And as I told my guest before, I have my beach body because I'm four foot ten and I do look like a little beach ball right now, <laughs> a little hair on my head. Not even that much of that. So we're talking about how to get that really good looking beach body back. And my guest is Dr. Brian Parr. He's an associate professor of exercise and sports science at the University of South Carolina, Aiken, where he teaches courses in exercise physiology, nutrition and health behaviors. So, Dr. Parr, what happens to us? In the winter, when we're hibernating, or even a few winters ago, how do we identify when we really had that body that we crave, even if it was like in our 20s? Yeah, so I think the answer to what happens is a lot can happen. I I think life happens to a lot of people. And um, for many people, just one day they think, okay, what, what went on? Where did my beach body go? When did I last see it? And then how do I get it back? And for some people, like you said, it might be just, you know, being a little bit lazier and eating a, a little bit more over the winter. But for other people, it's not just one winter. It's many winters and many life changes that have gone into <laughs> this new sort of this new person they've become. And, and they look back and say, gosh, I used to be fitter. I used to be thinner. I used to be stronger. And um, and that's what becomes tricky is how do you trace back when you lost your beach body, and then that's the key to finding out how to get it back, I think. Well, see, and in my case, now that I'm spending more time behind the microphone and in a chair and less time training clients, I know that this has happened to me. And as I try and spend more time on the treadmill, sometimes your days get busy. But I remember, Dr. Parr, when I first looked down, and it was even when I was wearing, working at a health club, and I looked down and I noticed my thighs and I said, geez, those were never that big before. And so I actually remember, you know, when that was that I started noticing things. And it was even before I got pregnant with my first child. But so knowing when it happened, how does that help us to know then what to do about it? Because, I mean, age-related changes are, are harder to change back. You're absolutely right. And you mentioned two really good points there. It, the first one was how your job has changed, which means what you do for the better part of many days is different now in a way where you're less active. And the other thing is before you had your, your child. And I think for a lot of women, that's exactly it. It's lifestyle changes. It might be going from you know being in college to getting a job to having a child and these this sequence of events that just result in changes in eating habits, changing in changes in activity patterns that just kind of progresses along. It occurs with age, so there certainly is the age-related effect that in a lot of ways there's not a lot you can do about, but identifying those things. So it's the change in your job where you became less active. So one of the knowing that allows you to say, okay, so when my job changed to this this new uh, position where I was less active now, 
it allows you to realize that's the thing that maybe you need to fix. Maybe you need to find a way to program more activity into your day, whether that's more activity breaks at work, maybe that's uh, extra time for being active outside of work, but you've identified the thing that changed and you've gone back and tried to fix it. And I think that's really important. So if we've identified that and we're looking, you know, whether we work for a corporation or a home office or a small office, trying to make that time to get a little bit more activity. But then there's also, especially if you work in some corporation where people keep candy on their desks, or if you've got little kids finishing off the corners of their grilled cheese they didn't finish, where does nutrition come into play? Because there's so much out there now, Dr. Parr. Avocado with an egg in it. I mean, you can go on Facebook and there's a million, you know, ways to eat healthy now and paleo and all this. So how do we incorporate that work and exercise into the nutrition. We we want to eat healthy, and that stuff is really good. So it's just a time factor sometimes. Yeah, it is. And I think you're right to, to mention that. It's the activities part of it, but the other part is eating habits. And that can be just what food is available at home or at work or where you spend your time. It could be other factors with you're eating out more because you don't have time to cook at home. Um, and those are really difficult things to fix, but I think the first step is to say, here's what has changed, and here's what I think I want to fix. And then you can make some steps to take some steps to do that. So if the issue is you're in a workplace where they have a lot of food there, um, and it's the kind of food that you know you shouldn't be eating and you tend to overeat, then maybe your goal is to try and stay away from that as much as possible, and maybe bring food to work that you think is more appropriate for you that you can fill up on so you're not as tempted with those other other things that they have there. And how do you tell people? Because you teach classes in nutrition. How do you tell people to identify the good foods from the bad as far as like some of the fads? I mean, when you look at it, obviously, avocados are a new food of choice, really. So many people are eating them, and they are one of nature's perfect foods, that's for sure. But if you're someone trying to lose weight, an avocado could be high in calories, and fat. So eating too many of those could, you know, really derail some of your weight loss goals. Yeah, it absolutely could. And I think the way to um, control that is to focus on eating real food. If you're eating something that looks like food you can identify, and I, I think an avocado fits into that, but, but really most foods, it's really difficult to overeat avocados, I think. And the reason is, let's say you start cutting into your fourth avocado in one sitting, you're going to say to yourself, hmm, I've eaten four avocados, maybe I should stop, right? But if you're Well, they do go pretty fast when you squish them all up do. and make, and make <laughs> you know, do. guacamole out of them. You could easily eat yeah, four no. of those suckers. <laughs> I, you're, you're absolutely right. But I think, that, I think that's true for, for a lot of fruits and vegetables, right? You know, people say, you know, a lot of fruit is high in sugar and you shouldn't eat, eat too much of it. Well, I think that a lot of, in a lot of ways, eating fruits is self-limiting because seriously, when you crunch into like, how many apples do you crunch into before you, you notice that you've, you've eaten more apples than you probably should. And I think when you get into foods that are the processed prepackaged foods, um, the things that you, you can't easily identify as that food item, potato chips, for example, it is really easy to eat a lot of potato chips out of a bag or a bowl, right? Because you, there's just no there's nothing there to trigger you to think, gosh, I've eaten an awful lot of chips. 
Um, so real food, I think, is, is in a lot of ways self-limiting and always preferred to eating processed food or convenience food. I think that's step number one. I think the other thing is being conscious of when you eat and why you eat. There are a lot of people who will eat food that's sitting out, um, even if they're not hungry. And I know this because I'm one of those people. Me too. So I, I, I do a lot of self-talk. Like, you know, I go to a meeting and there's a plate of donuts in there next to the coffee. Well, I get the coffee. And while I'm doing that, I'm, I'm talking about don't eat the donuts, don't eat the donuts, don't eat the donuts. Um, and I do that because I know me, right? And I think everyone needs to be aware of what are their triggers and, and what sort of things are going to are gonna tip them off. And, and then modifying your environment as much as you can. Like I said, taking control of, of what you want to eat and can eat when you can, um, can make a big difference in, in the food that's around that you know you shouldn't be eating. Do you advocate for something like the buddy system? I mean, my son, who's going to go to college in, in sports medicine, said to me just yesterday, I was putting some peanut butter on a cracker. He goes, Mom, what are you doing? You're not even hungry. You're just doing that because you're standing here talking to me. And I looked at him and I'm like, you know, you're right. So sometimes we have that own voice because we know ourselves. But then does it help to have somebody else? Or I mean, in Weight Watchers, we learned, Dr. Parr, don't let other people guilt you and say, should you be eating that when you're on a weight loss program? But I appreciated what my son did because it got me to say, geez, he's right. I covered up the peanut butter, put the crackers away, and I was done. Yeah, I, I'm a big advocate of having someone to go through the process with you. Um, and I think that's helpful. I think where people get upset about that is when it's someone who's outside of what they're trying to do. So yeah. if you're trying to eat less and lose weight and someone who isn't trying to do that is commenting on what you're eating, I think that's where people get their feelings hurt. I think if it's someone who's doing the same thing as you, having a buddy, having a partner, having someone you can rely on, whether it's one other person who's there with you Maybe it's someone you communicate with online or a big group of people. I think that, that that level of accountability is good. And I don't think that guilt is the major reason why people should should change their health habits. But if that's the thing that'll get people yeah. on the path, I, yeah. I'm all for a little guilt. I really yeah, am. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's one way for sure. Yeah. And I think it has to come from the right people. If it's someone from the outside being critical that is absolutely not going to work and really not appropriate. I, I just wish people would keep their mouth shut. Um, but if it's someone who's who's trying to do the same thing or is part of that effort, I think that, that having a buddy is, is the way to go for sure. Okay, so we've, we've talked a little bit about nutrition, having a buddy, self-talk, you know, using a little bit of good self-discipline, really, willpower, activity, getting up during the workday. But now... We want that body back, and we're not all bodybuilders, and we can't all plank like Michelle Obama for, you know, or even Ruth Bader. She's like six minutes or something. And we want those abdominals back, especially if we've had kids. So sit-ups, crunches, planking, weight loss, cardio, where do you see the best results coming in to something like, you know, trimming down our waist? Yeah, I think all of the above. Um, I think I knew you'd say that. Like that. <laughs> you, well, it, it, no, seriously though. It, in order to see changes, really serious changes in body composition or strength, you really do need exercise beyond being physically active. You do need to dedicate time to exercise, and that should include some form of resistance training, whether that's lifting weights or doing body weight exercises. It should include some form of aerobic or cardio training. 
Uh, and it should absolutely include some form of flexibility training like yoga or just taking time stretching. As far as the abdominals go, I mean, I mean, sit-ups, planks, um, doing leg lifts, doing the kind of things that, that use those muscles, keeping in mind that you need to focus on your whole core, not just your abs, um, are the things that are going to make those changes. But if the abs are missing, it, it's partly because of the muscle that's underneath the fat, right? So in order to get the abs back, for, for most people, it's losing some fat and, and at the same time trying to build some strength and some muscle. Yeah, so it is something that has to kind of work cohesively together. And and then that gradual progression of getting better if you can do your planks for a minute you know, then maybe trying to do it for two minutes. Or as I like to tell my clients, instead of doing two minutes, why don't we change it up a little and maybe lift up one leg or start doing the rotisserie chicken, you know, kind of going back and forth side to side or, you know, something to change it up, do it on a ball, on an unstable surface, something to change it up a little. Yes. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And what's so nice is that nowadays with resources online and even apps for your for your phone, there are so many ways to find new exercises that you can do if things get boring or if you want to try something something new. And so many of these things are available for free now. And I think that's just wonderful. I think, you know, if people haven't been in the gym or haven't been exercising for a long time, there are a lot of things now that are different um, that make it more fun and certainly easier for people to pick things that they're, they either like doing or are more likely to do. So you are a professor. And you teach to people. Do you ever talk about when it's time to resign yourself? I mean, and I'm not saying resign yourself to being a fat person or resign yourself to being obese or out of shape. But when do you say to yourself, I think this is probably as good as I can get it? Does Is there that point? Does there ever come that point? I'm, I'm 54, Dr. Power, and I, and I look at myself and I say, okay, I spend my time on the treadmill. I'm doing my push-ups and my sit-ups and all my lunges and things, and I'm just not seeing the results. So this is what I need to keep up with. Is that, is that bad? Is that bad self-talk? No, not at all. I think that everyone needs to be realistic. I think as we get older, our bodies change um, that make sort of the ideal of what we think we should look like or maybe what we used to look like just not realistic for most people to achieve. And even if they could, the amount of time and effort that would go into it is probably beyond what most people would realistically do. I think finding a balance between what you're happy with and what you will do. I think the what you will do is the most important thing. And remember, any anything you're doing is moving you in the right direction. And I, I do think that people need to be realistic about expectations. I bump into this all the time. I'm on a college campus, and most of the people I work out with are in their 20s. So it, every single day, I'm acutely aware that I am not as strong or as fast as most of them, and I certainly don't look like most of them. Um, and I'm okay with that, right? Because I think compared to most other guys my age, I'm 46, I'm probably doing better than most of them. And, um, and the ones that are, that, are, um, that are maybe stronger or faster or fitter than me, well, good for them because uh, I'm, happy, I'm happy where I'm at right now. And, and I think that's really important to, to find that. I think people should be motivated to change and see improvements, but absolutely be realistic about where they can get and what they're willing to do to get there. 
What a great point. I mean, the fact that you said it's about being realistic, but also about what makes you happy and what you will do. Those are two such important points to getting this kind of body that we all aspire to, whether it's because you want to be thinner, stronger, faster, or just, you know, hopefully prevent some of the diseases that exercise has been shown to help prevent. So it, it so it is all of those things, but you're right. You do have to be realistic and you do have to say, am I happy this way? And now comes a point of this negative self-talk. If we are happy, great. But if we're a woman, Dr. Parr, we negative self-talk ourselves all the time. We look at ourselves in the mirror and say, oh, forget God's sakes, jeez, yuck. And I mean, we do that all the time. And it's very hard not to. I mean, for a 20-something, they can look in. My son, 17, he looks in the mirror. He says, I look good, you know. But he's a gymnast. He can get away with that. Me, a different story. So how do we stop with the negative self-talk? Because I think that's one of the keys to to progressing and getting this whole thing going. Yeah, I, I think it's, Shifting the focus away from how you look and, and some number that you can measure towards being healthy and happy and being able to do the things you want to do. I think so much of it is unrealistic expectations um, of being able to fit into a certain dress size or being able to do a plank for as long as Michelle Obama. Um, if, you, if you're getting better and you're improving and you're moving in the right direction and you're getting healthier and you're feeling better, I think that should be the ultimate goal. It, I don't know how to do that. I don't think anyone knows the magic words to say to people that they'll start doing that and embracing that. But I think the more people can get away from what they look like in the mirror or or what their their last 5K time was and start thinking about how they're feeling, uh, that's going to be better for them and it's going to be better for everyone else. And if you can figure out how to do that, please tell me. Well, I mean, that's what shows like this are all about, Dr. Parr, and the fact that you and I can discuss these things as two health professionals. I'm not only interviewing you. I've been in this business 30 years. So the two of us can try and come up with these kinds of things together. But as you say, there is no magic pill or magic thing that we can say to our clients or to other people and say, yes, this is what you need to do, because everybody sort of has to find that for themselves. But they can take this advice, try and follow a sort of a pattern, and find out what makes them happy. So wrap it up for us. Best advice, what you want people to know about maybe getting that beach body back, if they ever did have it in the first place, that is, and how we can really get ourselves on that path as this spring happens, and all of a sudden we're going to be wearing shorts, hopefully. So best advice, Dr. P. Yeah, I think... Um the first step is figuring out where you lost your beach body and what's happened since then and, and identify some things that need to be changed. Um, certainly, eating habits, focusing on, on more real food, fruits and vegetables, drinking water instead of soda, cutting out sugar, making sure you're active as much as possible every day, and including exercise to help improve your strength and your endurance and your flexibility. Um, I think another key thing that we don't talk about enough is getting enough sleep. People need time to rest and people need time to relax. And this idea that you can do it all on minimal sleep, I, I think we're getting away from that. And, and getting adequate sleep is so important for making everything else work. And then finally, the, the last thing is everyone has to find the way that it will work for them to find a balance 
between what they do and what they eat in their time um, and identify things that they are willing to do and changes they are willing to make to move them towards a healthier and happier person, whether or not they're in their perfect ideal beach body or not. Absolutely. I'm giving you one of these because that is really a great wrap up and such important information and totally true. And we have to find what makes us happy. Being realistic is so key. Looking at ourselves, loving ourselves, stopping with the negative self-talk and really telling ourselves, I can do this. I can. But at some point realizing, well, this is, you know, this is me working really to my potential and what I can do based on my age and my body type and all those things. So it's great information. And I hope listeners, you will share this show with your friends because it's important. And and Dr. Parr has so many good points to make that I think that this is one of those that will really garnish some comments and follow his lead and understand what your body can handle, what it can't, and look at the food you're eating and the mindless stuff, because that's where a big part of these extra calories and the activity and work and corporate bosses and things, get them to help you out with your activity, taking more breaks, keeping treadmills on site, all of those kind of things can really help to get that body that we all aspire to, crave. And of course, you're listening to Life's Too Short. So am I, though, at four foot ten. But, you know, hey, it's it's all about how you feel about yourself. Thanks so much for listening to Radio MD. Remember, you can see these shows on TuneIn and Stitcher and iHeartRadio and iTunes. Download them, share them with your friends, rate and review, like, do all that stuff. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening and stay well.